Good afternoon and happy Tuesday. This is a Trial by Fire podcast with your hosts, Stacey Huck and Rachel Kovac. Hey, Stacey, how are you doing today? Pretty good. It's a warm one for y'all here today, I think, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, I think in comparison to you, where you grew up in Louisiana, this seems like pretty decent weather for you. That's a pretty nice day today. <laughs> uh, we're melting. Um, I don't know if anyone's aware of the Central Coast weather and the way housing is, but in older houses, they don't really have air conditioning units built in. So our house, <laughs> this building that we're in, has zero air conditioning. Uh, so we're just li- uh, living by fans, both paper and uh, electronic fans, just to keep us cool. Um, and taking the joys of water and relaxation. So we're very happy to be with you today. Um, Thank you to all those who have subscribed to our Facebook page, our Instagram, and our podcast. Um, Great news. We got approved to expand our reach, and we are now not only on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but we're also on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and um, it's called SyncLink. I've never heard of them before, but they've expanded our reach, and we're so excited to be able to share our talks with you. So thank you for being the viewership possible to expand our reach, and we look forward to continuing to entertain you as we go along. Um, we also, in the note of talking about our Instagram, uh, we threw our first real hot take at you guys during the week, and we asked you guys um, a topic that is pertaining to us today, and it was a question if how has your ho- uh, home life improved the use of faith in conversations at home and um it was a yes or no kind of style question because thankfully those of us that know instagram you could ask polls and they get the percentages and i was prepared for like a 60 30 ish split Uh, But I was so impressed that everyone that participated in the podcast said that their conversations about faith increased during the pandemic. Now, the pandemic for us here in the United States has started since March 15th. So that is a long time for us to be starting to incorporate faith into our daily conversations. Uh, But one of our viewers, uh, Jessica, she shared that since church had been at home for a while, that they gave them opportunities to be within their home with their younger children, uh, times to worship together as a family, to be able to hear what they were saying over the TV and then pause and have those conversations and may bring the language down to the level that their kids could understand. So it became a more holistic family conversation. Um, Another conversation I re, uh, had with a family of teenagers is that each of the teenagers were at their own learning level and their own understanding and their own relationships with God. And it was something jarring for the viewer and her husband to understand that their each child had their own separate relationship with God and it was very eye-opening for them to be able to gauge their experience, gauge their perceptions, and then be able to address those things as a family. Uh, So that was really refreshing, and it made me really excited to be talking to you guys today, not only about what the world is like right now in this pandemic and the way education has shifted, uh, but also providing opportunities and resources to all of you to help promote those faith-based conversations and these activities, because trust me, it's really hard. It is really hard and challenging right now to try to navigate and manage yourself, let alone a family, let alone incorporating faith. It can absolutely be a struggle. 
Definitely, definitely. And as you can see, we get kind of wild and off off uh, topic, so we didn't even start with a prayer <laughs> today. Oh my God, that's so embarrassing. So we're because right. we're such good Catholics <laughs> over here, we didn't even start today with a prayer. How about that? Yeah. To be fair, I will admit we have been here planning and collaborating for a little bit, so it felt very seamless to go right into conversation, but I do apologize. So, Stacy, take it away with that opening That's prayer. okay. I mean, we need all the help we can get, so I definitely don't <laughs> want to start off on the wrong foot by not starting with prayer. So, yes. All right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So our prayer today is actually the Wednesday prayer from the Exilium Christianorum. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and God, we ask thee to render all spirits impotent, paralyzed, and ineffective in attempting to take revenge against any one of the members of the Auxilium Christianorum, our families, friends, communities, those who pray for us, and their family members, or anyone associated with us and for whom the priests of the Christianorum pray. We ask thee to bind all evil spirits, all powers in the air, the water, the ground, the fire, underground, or wherever they exercise their powers, any satanic forces in nature, and any and all emissaries of the satanic headquarters, we ask thee to bind by thy precious blood all of the attributes, aspects, and characteristics, interactions, communications, and deceitful games of the evil spirits. We ask thee to break any and all bonds, ties, and attachments. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So... I know that's a heavy one, but that's a good one. Uh, here on the podcast, uh, since I've been doing the opening prayer, I've been trying to expose y'all to different types of prayers. Uh, this is a phenomenal prayer. There's uh, one for every day of the week. It doesn't take very long to do. Um, and we'll touch on how you can gain access to it later on in the program today. But it's, it's a really good uh, set of prayers for spiritual warfare and keeping you and your family safe. And I think that is something that really segues us into our conversation today is praying for safety and praying for security. Um, being the youth minister with our amazing teenagers, uh, a lot of times, and this is something that has impressed me across the board, teenagers will come in with an idea of prayer that it is meant for a church. It is meant for Sundays. It is meant for funerals. It is meant for severity. They, they, they showcase prayer in a way where it is present in the most trying of circumstances. They don't realize that prayer is meant for daily and minute-to-minute -minute use. It is meant for us to have that constant tether to God. And it's not meant to be something that is only elevated to something important. It needs to be incorporated and utilized in our daily lives. And especially now that we've all been kind of grounded and we've been put into these isolated settings where we are being socially distant, where we aren't together and having consistent conversations, we can be really pulled to spiraling and being caught in the cabin fever of our lives and being caught up in our own stuff that sometimes prayer seems even further away. And it was really refreshing when I was looking at the uh, feedback, whether you guys were being honest or not, saying, of course, faith has increased. You know, <laughs> you don't want to say, oh, no, I'm not praying to a uh, faith-based podcast. But it was been, it's been really interesting to see the different examples and the situations that everyone is coming into and where they're needing to start seeing prayer evolve in their lives. 
Well, I mean, and that kind of brings me to something that I was going to touch on today because originally we had talked about uh, that we would discuss uh, in today's session uh, how we relate Catholicism to our kids, but I think we can broaden that spectrum and um, extend it to how do we talk about Catholicism or faith with our not only our immediate family, our spouses, and our extended family, and also our friends. But I think before you can even get to that moment, I think you have to start to discuss um, the difference between, and there's not really a difference, I don't think, per se, but the difference in people's uh, conceptions of religion versus spirituality versus faith. Because like you were talking about the teens saying only using it as a tool uh, in times of need or desperation when something is lacking. You know, uh, we see people thinking of religion, like especially um, the ancient religions like Catholicism or Judaism or even uh, Islam as the stringent set of guidelines to live your life where there's no there's no room for you to color so to speak outside the lines mm-hmm. or else you are a complete failure at your your religion and then especially uh nowadays i notice that there is this whole trend towards spirituality and it's like it's like they, people think there's this great disconnect between religion and spirituality and it's just like no not really you can actually be spiritual and religious. Because I've heard people say things like, well, I'm like a really spiritual person. I'm just not really religious. And I really want to look at them and go, what, what, what are you even talking about? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. It's, it's, it's like two of the same things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, I, I don't was, get it. I was very fortunate in my undergrad. And undergrad was many years ago for me. Um, but we, t- uh, I was taking a lot of Native American studies courses. I was very passionate about it when I was going through my undergrad. I was getting my criminal justice degree, but I also wanted uh, something in humanities. And so I was studying that, and I took this Native American storytelling class. And I had this very neat teacher, and she made that comment that spirituality wasn't religion. And as a Catholic, I was understood it from a purely technical stance, but the processes and the way they, in which these rituals were conducted were very similar to what I do as a Catholic. The prayers to healing, the prayers for support, nourishment, food for our families. The rituals they would do, when you align them to what we do in Catholic practice, that we all have the same goal. But the thing is, we pray to God, you know, God who provides us everything we need, all the things that we desire in our heart he opens the doors for what is a necessity to us and it is our free will and our choice to walk through those doors and take the path that he provides us and it was just so fascinating because i'm with you stays to where when people separate spirituality and religion i just go wait a sec like you're missing the opportunity um and i know that a lot of arguments go against like the human error that comes from any sort of religion where agendas and political arrangements all those things come and you hear those arguments but then you have to boil it down to the faith you have to boil it down to be like listen this is where what i believe and i'm allowing my actions to speak for me and i'm allowing my faith to do that. absolutely and to be honest I didn't plan on discussing this today because this is <laughs> kind of a little deeper than you want to go. But And that's that right there is how I feel a lot of good Catholics get themselves in trouble. 
I mean, last week we, I talked about being like, you know, hippie Catholicism. This week I would say, as a Catholic, don't be a dabbler. Because what happens is I see these people looking at it exactly through two different lenses as, you know, the Catholic Church as an entity is, you know, one specific thing. And they could come to church and that fulfills the, you know, keep holy the Sabbath. And then they're lacking the spirituality component. And so they find themselves going to these kind of Christian churches, which are not Catholic, and they get whatever it is they get from it, some kind of, it's almost like a physical or an emotional type of fulfillment that they feel that they can't get from the Catholic Church or from going or attending the Catholic Mass. So they're supplementing and dabbling in other things, which actually is really funny that you even bring would bring up the Native American thing because especially here in the area we live in, you see a lot of good Catholics dabbling in things like Santeria. And it runs parallel to the Catholic Church, but it is absolutely demonic and satanic, and it is not in line with anything the church teaches or anything like that. But you would be surprised to uh, know how many people are dabbling in that for uh, protection for loved ones, any kind of those things. So my advice to people is don't be a dabbler, you know. It does lead, can lead you down the path of error. And obviously, you know, since I threw it out there already about that it being demonic, uh, you know, obviously if things something was that satanic, you wouldn't sign on to do it. So there's got to be some kind of uh, allurement there, something that makes it seem harmless. So I encourage people when they are kind of feeling like their faith or their religion is a little stale and they're looking for something, they may not know what that something is, but they know that something is missing. I really encourage them to just stick with the Catholic Church, since they are already Catholic, and to try to find that devotion uh, that piques their interest, that you know really grabs hold of their heart, and really helps them to immerse themselves diff like in a different way and more immensely in their faith. And then hopefully that spiritual can component can come along, because you know. I'm a, I'm a cradle Catholic, obviously. All mm -hmm. my family is Catholic. Uh, when you look at people who are cradle Catholics, as a child, when you're taught that the Mass is a miracle, you're taught about these great works that the saints perform, these, these miracles that they've done, the Eucharistic miracles, all these things, these stories in the great history of the Church and all her traditions, and you're absolutely fascinated as a young kid. When you become a teenager you really have to have justification. You're seeing justification and a rationale for some of these kind of unknowns and these mysteries. And to just say, well, you're, you belong to a church that's a mystery. That doesn't cut it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they need a lot more explanation. And you really feel like, yeah, I know I'm called to be a saint, but let's face it, I'm like 15. Like, I got the rest of my life to make it to sainthood. And then you get to your early 20s, and it's like, I would like to go to daily mass, but I just don't want to wake up that early, right? Mm -hmm. Why can't they have like a noon mass or something? And you figure like, you know what? You go a couple times and all you see there is like old people. So you're like, you know what? I have the rest of my life to do this like when I retire. So you go about your life and then before you know it, you're like my age. You're like 40-something years old. Before you know it, you're 60 years old. And you're like, where has the time been? Where has it went? And I'm, I'm still not any further when you sit down and examine your life and your faith. You're not any further than you were 20 or 30 years ago. So I would say for most Catholics, that's kind of like a normal progression. 
but it's up to you to kind of own it and to do more so that you can get more from your faith. Because if you're only looking at it as religion versus spirituality, you'll never you'll never progress or get further, so to speak. And get further is a bad way to describe it, by the way, because it's not like anyone is better than anyone else or further along. Because let's face it, we're trying to all get to the same place, but we all take different routes. I mean, that's the unique thing. That's the unique thing, the challenging thing, but at the same time, the comforting thing about you know when, when you're Catholic. So, well, I think that you brought up a point that I think is really interesting because it differs from where I've had some experience, and what I see in my life is. Every single one of us has specific gifts that God gives us that allow us to live our lives to the fullest. And when we are confirmed with the sacrament of confirmation, the Holy Spirit really lives within us and it guides, a, like burns a path to who is supposed to be in your life and grants you the lenses and that almost supernatural ability to be able to really discern things with a new set of eyes, hear things with a new set of ears. And we all have things that have happened to us that are just purely not explainable. Like things that are just not able to be explained with modern science, with earth, and it just relies on faith. And for me, myself, I have found a great deal of comfort through, the, through not only prayer and meditation and the rosary, but also kind of, you know, exploring what the what God feels about the supernatural element, exploring purgatory and hearing, potentially hearing from voices that have paths that have yet to cross over into heaven or to hell, depending on where they're meant. And I, you know, I sit and I dabble and I think about it all the time. And I just wonder, you know, it, it's one of those mysteries that I don't know if it was way the church raised me and the conversations we had, but that was an off limits topic. Oh, not where I'm from. And it, it, it was not something that we talked about. It was not something that was really enhanced. I felt like maybe it's because California Dreamin' like really rose-colored glasses in this state for most issues, which is a whole other topic <laughs> that I could talk about over some wine. But <laughs> I, I really think that when the generation that I grew up and the teachers that I had, really wonderful, but they didn't want to talk about those elements. It wasn't until... Uh, and, you know, I've mentioned it before. I come from a very beautiful, large family. Um, my mother's side, a very dynamic. My father, who's Slovakian, only had six cousins total. My mom had 64 first cousins. And it was, just, you know, it was a very different culture shock, Slovakian to Mexican. And, you know, the beauty of having such a large family also comes with the beauty of loss. And when they pass and participating in funerals and rosaries and memorials. And so from a very young age, I knew death, I knew the process, I knew the Catholic rituals and how to process that. But as I've gotten older, as my degrees of loss have increased, my curiosity and my clarity to wanting for myself, understanding what purgatory truly means, what, what it takes to get to heaven, all those questions are really becoming a stronger thing for me. And, you know, being a youth minister, I, you're called to share your own life and your own lens with your teens to a degree. And so sometimes I'll share that. And the insights the teenagers give me are amazing. The things that are so innocent and so simple, you just go, whoa, like, why didn't I think about this whole time? 
And they'll say something that's really awe-inspiring. And so it's interesting that you mentioned not dabbling. Because, you know, there are people that will go and try a new church because they didn't have the funeral that gave them the closure for when their family passed. Or they didn't get the right confession and they just don't feel like they were fulfilled. Dabbling is a, I agree, it, it can lead you down a road that you can't come back. Or right? like not, not come back, but it's hard to return. Uh, I think a lot of times in California, when people bounce around different churches, they're doing a lot as a friend element, I found. Like, oh, if their friends go to one church, they want to hang out with their friends. Um, but for me, it was different growing up because, you know, my family, they were very strong in their faith and the actions they had in the church. So they just told me to make friends in the church. They were just like, hey, make your church friends. Like, you got to make your connections. You're not going to new life or wherever, right? <laughs> You're like, no, you gotta, you gotta make it here. And so it's about four, but when you talk with them and then talk with friends who go to other parishes, there were so many things that we had similar, but there were some certain miracles and certain elements to our faith, um, really down to transubstantiation that are differed us and made us different. And so it, it's just very interesting to watch those conversations happen. And I know that we've been on a little bit of a tangent this time, um, but those type of conversations are all things that we should be having in our homes right now, especially when we're trying to discuss faith and incorporating it as a daily practice among our families and especially our kids. Well, see, like I was talking about dabbling earlier, that in itself is a stumbling block. Another stumbling block is actually trying to uh, decipher religion from spirituality from faith I feel like and I feel like you know if you really want to grow in Catholicism or you just really want to you know just have a better time so to speak where you're where you're not looking at it as just this set of rules that's actually what has to happen you have to make the decision to just be completely immersed in Catholicism and then instead of being obstinate to these things that you don't agree with or you're not willing to adhere to, you actually can grow into them. Because, I mean, I think you've heard me say before, the things I struggled with when I was 13 were different than the things that I struggled when I was 23. Different than in my 30s, different than in my 40s. And, you know, I think anybody who's listening can identify with, you know, some of the things were difficult at 13 that are easier now. Mm -hmm. And some of the things, you know, that were harder, you know, and vice versa. I think I got that backwards, actually. But anyways, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? And, you know, instead of looking at things like in through the eyes of this narrow focus of set of rules and regulations, and then you can come to actually, you know, I think it was our first episode when we discussed prayer as being a conversation with God, this intimate kind of communication that is unique just to you and God, uh, I think that you have a lot more success achieving that. And it will lead to a lot more fulfillment. I mean, not that we need to be personally fulfilled to uh, gain spiritual ground or to merit anything because we don't. But at the same time, we're all human. So we are looking for something back because, you know, that's one of the most difficult things with having or the most difficult concept in having a relationship with God you know, you can walk the walk and talk the talk, but you don't often hear back. 
mm-hmm. you don't often get the results you want. So I mean, you can really see how it leads to desolation and despair. I mean, Saint uh, Faustina is one of our more modern day saints that we would know about, right? And those simple words, Jesus, I trust in you. How hard is that? How hard is it to ju- to truly say those words and mean it and to relinquish all, just everything to God? That in itself is is very, at least for me, I find very, very difficult because I'm a super methodical person and to just be able to blindly give it away or give it up, so to speak, that's really hard. And, and that's also one of those cliches I have a problem with when people are like, give it to God. Yeah, no. I mean, because I'm just like anyone else. I feel like I can do better or I can make it happen or I can make it work or I can fix it or whatever it is. It's a lot easier or put it like this. It might not be a lot easier, but I would certainly rather try and wear myself out and still be broken mm-hmm. at the end of the day with nothing to show for it than to surrender it to God. Because for me personally, that's a lot more harder, like a lot. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, that, that in itself is like penance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very similar to you. I think that's why we're really good friends. Uh, because I, I have been told from literally babyhood that my pride is my biggest fault. My pride and my defensiveness and that ability to be like, I've got this. I can control it. I'm going to fix it. Uh, my grandpa, may he rest in peace, he gave me the nickname The General at like 18 months <laughs> old because I would try to take charge of everything and like manage and put people where they were. At 18 months, like, well, a little punk, right? But like, you know, you go and you try to manage it. And it did continue until I've been older and now I'm getting a doctorate in organizational leadership, which is essentially a doctorate of being a pain in the butt. <laughs> and so, you know, it's a very, being... Asking yourself to trust completely in God and surrender the control, the analytical processes, the things that the that I create in my head to be like, well, if we do it this way, it's going to work. And here are all the possibilities. And here's plan A, plan B, all the way to plan Z. And I do that all the time. And yet, like you mentioned, you know, trust completely in God, let go. I can't. Like, I'd be like, oh, no, I will literally just stand and think. and. It's very challenging to truly surrender and be like, okay, this is what you need to do. I, I guarantee you almost every time I go to confession, I have to confess disobedience because that's how I get myself in trouble in that area because I know I need to back off, and I just can't. I, I, I mean, I absolutely can't. I'm my own worst enemy. You mm-hmm. know, Early on, I told you sometimes I'm too much for myself to handle. I mean, that's, that is exactly what gets me in trouble. You know, but, you know, this is it's interesting that we're kind of taking this road today because it's going to sound really negative the next couple of things I'm going to say. But when in discussing uh, faith and Catholicism in the family, it's funny because I'm talking about it being a way of life and you immerse, immersing yourself in it and totally giving yourself over to God. But, you know, there are some problems that we do have to discuss. There are some negative things. Um, I mean, I hate to be that person, but, you know, one of the things we deal with all the time is the retention rate after the sacraments. And mm-hmm. the kids or the teenagers seem to fall off. And, we, I mean, we even see this with RCIA. A lot of people don't want to admit it that it happens in RCIA, but it does. You come in the church, you're on this, like, great high for, like, a year after you receive the sacraments. And then, you know, you you don't have those weekly meetings anymore. 
where you were with the other people who were waiting to become Catholic. You're kind of like on your own now. You know what I mean? You're kind of old news. And sometimes people, you know, I know a lot of people that have a lot of anxiety about that. And they're like, well, people just don't, um, they just, I don't know why they leave. Why do they not stay? And it really upsets them. And I'm like, listen, we're going on several decades of sometimes I'm just going to say it bad, bad catechesis. And, but most importantly, it's lack of catechesis. So if you're my age, I'm 45. If you're my age or you're like in your thirties and your board is all get out as mad at mass, I'm going to tell you right now, some people are not going to like that. I'm going to say this. Don't beat yourself up because the majority of people that I see today they came to catechism or some kind of faith formation up into second grade. They went to first confession. They never went back for a second confession. Uh, they had first Holy Communion. They never received communion again unless they were at a funeral or a wedding, right? Maybe Christmas or Easter. And then maybe they came back for confirmation in high school. Maybe they didn't. They might not even have went on with confirmation. So you are basically trying to understand these concepts that are hard enough for someone who's, you know, very learned in Catholicism, but you're coming at it with a second-grade education. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's like when you were growing up and they were like, what do you want to be? And you're like, I'm going to be an artist and a biochemist. Oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Anyways, Mm -hmm. you can't come back, you know, and be like, well, I'm going to be a biochemist because I wanted to do that in second grade. And I took chemistry in high school, so that qualifies me. I should work in labs. No! (laughs) Right. And so if you are bored at mass, be honest with yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. That's what you're coming to the table with. So it is no wonder you're bored. You know, we were always taught when I was growing up because we would complain, you know, it's so boring or it's so long or whatever, you know. And because uh, because most of the people where I'm from are great storytellers. So we, you would get the homily and then you would get like a huge story. So mass was a little longer. Right. Mm hmm. But we were always taught, you know, no, because you are supposed to grow with the mass. So what the mass is to you now will not be the same mass to you even in five years. You know what I mean? And that's, I think, the understanding. You know, the church is missing this this great gap of people, you know, that they like to call the nuns, right? And Bishop Barron speaks about it all the time, about how, you know, the nuns, and they're increasing in number, and we're missing them. Well, when I look at uh, people my age, especially here, like, because you have to, I do have to interject it. Here on the West Coast, people tend to get married later, and they have their kids later on in life. Whereas where I'm from, people get married earlier, and they have kids early in life, okay? We're, you can't uh, possibly want to see a whole bunch of little kids running around St. Pat's because you don't even have the people my age. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to be there. When people are like, oh, you have a beautiful parish, where's the youth? They're not there. They can't get there by themselves. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality we're at. So you not only, it's not only that we need to capture the youth, we have to capture some kind of way the parents. And the parents need to understand, like we were talking about earlier, the religion versus the spirituality versus faith. You can come and be Catholic, come back to your roots, be Catholic, and you don't need to supplement by going to, oh gosh, here comes the hate mail, new life. Or the Nazarene. <laughs> I did name churches. I went there. Uh, and y- everyone should know who listens by now. I don't walk nothing back. No. So I'm not apologizing for that. But you don't need to go to these other churches to supplement your faith. Well, I think you're going to note that um, you had mentioned people go to Mass when they're bo- and they're bored in Mass. 
There's also the flip where people go and they're full of anxiety. They didn't check their stuff at the door. They didn't come to themselves. They let brought everything that was on their mind down to, you know, what they need to buy at the grocery store when they're done with masks to their bad date that they went on and you just really want to forget the person you had a wasted a beer on. You know, it's like there are so many things that we take into mass that we keep thinking. And um, there was one moment where I learned the lesson about really being a part of mass. You know, as a teenager, you know, when I grew up, the teen youth group was a huge deal. And it was like the six o'clock mass was the youth mass. And there was a youth band and they had a whole section. It was full with all the teens that wore their G- I Love Jesus t-shirts. And you had the youth ministers sitting on all the rows, keeping people egged on, clapping, singing. But then you also had the teenagers that, you know, they've gotten that teenage snarkiness. And they were, like, really into it. But they went to Mass every week, so they knew the words that were going to come out of the priest's mouth without even having to say it because they have been going to Mass. And I remember once looking over and seeing a couple of people older mouthing along with the priest as he was doing the transubstantiation. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, they know the words. And I went and following week, a couple of Masses later, I was sitting with my parents because there wasn't youth Mass. It was just my parents. And I started doing the same thing where I was just mouthing it, not even really to be snarky, but just more like, oh, I had seen it, so I'm going to do it. And, you know, Stacy could say it because she's a mom. But my mom has these wicked superpowers that could literally be <laughs> like extend your arm and pinch so hard. And we were kneeling. And so you, in theory, she wouldn't have seen what I was doing. But oh, Renee did. And she went smack. And I got this twist into my thigh for being disrespectful. And I was like, what? And like I was like startled that she would hit, like pinch me in the middle of mass. And she was like, we're talking after mass. And I just knew I was in trouble and I didn't know what I did. And it was the fact that I just wasn't giving the transubstantiation, the transformation of the body and blood, its respect. I was just being a snarky teen and was missing out on the miracle. And I remember when she explained it to me, being moody and being like, mom, you don't get me. You don't get my friends, blah, blah, blah. But now as a youth minister, reflecting on that moment... Of course she was right, and I hate admitting that live on this podcast, but, (laughs) because I'm going to get that as a a tool to beat me with later. She's going to put that as, like, her ringtone or something. (laughs) My mom is always right. (laughs) Oh, not always, but definitely she was right in this instance. But it was very, one of those things where people get caught up in that, and people get caught up in the routine where they know what they're going to say, you know what's going to happen next, but you're not really a witnessing the miracle. You're just projecting ahead so you can get to the next thing. You can finish mass, check it off your list, and go on living your life. And that is such a huge mistake that I think that has really hit our families now. Because, you know, they're balancing Little League. They're balancing sports. They're balancing karate. They're balancing guitar, surfing, the works. And they're leaving such a little fragment to God that they're teaching their kids through their example Okay, I'm doing my mass. I'm getting it over with. I'm moving on. Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, when we were talking earlier, we were talking about not only just practicing faithfully, but regularly. And then, you know, you do have the people that they come to you for First Holy Communion, and then they, they never come back, and then they come back for confirmation. And, you know, they'll pull me aside, even though I'm not obviously the confirmation director, but they'll pull me aside and go, you know, Cece, I'm having so many problems getting him to go. 
you know, this is so important. And I'm just thinking, listen, if you're a parent out there, you know that you, you can barely put anything over on little kids. Trying to put something over on a teenager is even harder. So you can't just never go to mass except for occasionally, right, for like a wedding or a baptism or maybe, you know, for Christmas or Easter. And then all of a sudden your kid now is 16 and you're like, you need to do confirmation because this is important. Really? Where have where we been all these years? Because mm-hmm. it wasn't important then. You know, and that it goes back to something that we talked about in earlier episodes about how Catholicism, you know, it's kind of funny because people will look at it as, as just the things you can't do. But then at the same token, some of the people that are practicing, they just look at it as boxes they're checking. And it's like, no, it has to be a way of life. And I'm going to be honest, and some people are not going to like this either. If, if it's not a way of life, it will let you down. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, just honestly, it will let you down. Sooner or later, it will. Because you, you won't have, you know, everybody's always talking about, especially nowadays, you know, being spiritual and, and all this stuff. You won't have that to fall back on. Mm-hmm. All you will have is a set of rules. Yeah. And, and we'll get, that's no consolation. Depending on the situation you're talking about, that's no, there's no consolation. you got to, it's got to be a way of life. Whether you're talking about the death of a, a, you know, a parent or a child or just something, you know, some huge tragedy that is life-altering for you or someone close to you, you won't have anything to fall back on. You just won't. I mean, and, and, and you know, you have this super difficult, maybe it's the hardest time you've ever experienced in your life, and now you're lit down by your faith. That's, that can be a breaking point for a lot of people. I mean, it really can It can break people. Well, we're all kind of in it right now, but I think a lot of us, you know, going through this pandemic, going through the complete societal force to change our work environment, our faith environment, our academic, the way we go to the grocery store, the way we go get gas, everything has changed with this invisible enemy that is COVID-19. And it's mortal and people respond to it very manically. Um, and, you know, at the beginning, those first couple months were complete chaos. Like, I've never seen people fight for frozen mac and cheese and toilet paper like I did at the beginning. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing to be a human. I was surprised, to be honest, because, you know, where I'm from, I mean, we're used to waiting in line for water and for food and stuff like that when we have hurricanes and things. But I was just surprised by the selfishness and the greediness here when there, there was no reason for it. The hoarding and stuff, and I was, and not to bring the government in, but I mean, I was really surprised that you know our local leaders and the community or whatever, you know, local government, I guess, didn't stop, didn't step in and put, you know, it was a while before we saw limitations on different things. Because I can tell you now, I remember as a kid, you know, we would go to the store and you know you have no power for like a month, right? Mm-hmm. And it's always in August. When it's like 98 and 100% humidity, and it seems like the mosquito babies like all just hatched, right? <laughs> so it's horrible. And you go to the store, and there's no power. So you have to wait in line in the front of the store. And they can only let so many people in because they're literally figuring out your bill on a calculator, mm-hmm. right? So they just don't let that many people in because it does no good, because yeah. it doesn't expedite anything. And then there's a limited number of items that are available at the store because they can't cool stuff, right? And, you know, you just couldn't get more than one. You couldn't get, uh, you know, more than two cases of water. 
And of course, it's a small town, so you know if you know you and I went together, they'd be like, "Uh, no, you your cousin, you get two. Mm-hmm. She can leave those right there." <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? But I was really surprised by the panic and the in the greediness um, of of just people in general, it, which really surprised me because you know obviously wildfire is your uh, natural disaster here, hurricanes over there, and flooding in Louisiana and. Usually when something like that happens in my house, and I'm, by the way, don't don't email me. I'm not saying the people from Louisiana are better than the people from California. I mean, even though they are, but I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But, you know, usually it brings out the best in people. And it was really kind of odd for me to witness it out here that it didn't bring out the best of people for a while. I mean, I saw people, like, you know, beating old ladies to shelves mm-hmm. to gra- to snatch things because they were, you know, they were faster. I'm like, wow, that's um, that's an eye-opener. Yeah. No, and I think it's really interesting, just from the experiences that we have, California to Louisiana, you know, you came from hurricane culture, where flooding, power outages, that was a regular thing. Here in California, we're spoiled, and it's a really kind of, you know, it was an eye-opening thing with this pandemic to see a state completely crumble at the idea that they were restrictive and yet we're you know technically the state that wants to have all the government enforcement and all these things like all these laws and regulations and guys this is not a political uh, uh, dis uh what is it disbursement or no nothing like that but i'm just saying like and in theory when we're supposed to be in a state where we are comforted by regulations the fact that anyone put a limitation on how much water and how much toilet paper buy literally had people lose their minds yeah that's pretty sad and it's really embarrassing and so you know that little tangent aside you know we've all been called to readdress and reformat our lives and kind of fix what was broke and you know when before we started having outdoor mass, you know, here in our parish, I didn't see any of my colleagues, any of my priests other than watching mass for about three and a half months. It was about three and a half months before I saw anyone in person. And I would check in by phone, I'd text, I'd email, and I wouldn't get a lot back just because we weren't together and everyone was trying to just survive and not survive in like a apocalypse type way but just trying to cope with the new reality and cope with the new way of the world and so that being said you know i other than being a youth minister i'm also a community college instructor focusing with a great adults that have disabilities of all ages so my students are 19 to 88 years old and you know they all come with their own set of um, strengths and obstacles. And when we transitioned to online learning, I was the first to be like, nope, there's no way this is going to work. Like they can't even turn on a computer, let alone be here. And yet, you know, I had to pray about it and I had to be like, God, you've given me a job to do. You've given me very different populations, teenagers and adults with disabilities. Please give me the clarity to serve for you and it did it worked itself out you know we have we have the online learning for our teenagers using monthly formats with zoom you know we do it once a week on sundays after mass 
and the populations alternate so the kids don't have to always be there and promote that Zoom fatigue that a lot of people are suffering right now. It's very regulated and short, so it's enough catechesis to give them that nourishment, but it's not burnout with the computer and feeling that isolation. With my adults, you know, I allow plenty of breaks. I become a big old dork. Like, I, huh. I literally go and I play hangman and I, you know, make obnoxious sounds when they get a letter wrong just to add some energy. Things that I would never do in person, by the way. Things that I'm like, oh, man. And my silly dog, she loves going to school. As I like to say, I'm like, oh, are you going to school? And she'll, like, get herself and her pillow ready and want to see the students that are all on Zoom. You know, she just gets in it. And we've all adapted and we've all had to figure out, like, okay, this is how work is. And then, you know, families with kids, you regulate how much internet is being used where. You have to use the devices, make sure they use, everything's up to date. Got school, got work, all these things. But then there's faith. Okay? Something that already in our normal lives, for a lot of us, takes a back burner, right? Like, we kind of put it off to the side. But now we need to address the faith. And we need to be like, okay, where do I put faith in my life? And so I've seen a lot of families be able to, you know, eat dinner together, eat a meal together. But what are you really talking about? Are those phones put away yeah. at the table? You know, what is the content of what you're saying? Are you even about? saying your grace before a meal? Mm hmm. You know, I mean, I, I've kind of taken a similar but yet different kind of view on it when. We, were, we found out we weren't going to be able to do in-person learning. The kind of letter that I composed to my parents was inviting them to come back to Mass. Because my biggest thing with the virtual learning is that, you know, virtual learning is, is very similar to the person that comes to Mass every Sunday and every Holy Day obligation, but they don't talk to, they know all the prayers, they know all the responses, but they don't talk to anyone in the parish. Right? And... That's the problem. That's the problem I see with trying to do virtual learning in regards to catechism or faith formation is you're missing the personal aspect that mm -hmm. I can't I, I'm sorry, I can't provide over a computer because the kids are also missing being with their fellow Catholics. Because let's face it. I mean, as a parent, my kid had tons of friends. But if I had to eliminate them by which denomination they were, she didn't have that many people that were Catholic. Not, and, and I wish I could tell you that the majority were Catholic. They just weren't practicing anymore. No, they weren't even Catholic. It was a complete foreign concept to them when on Sundays, we, 530 at St. Paul's was always our Sunday obligation time. It was like, that's when we go to Mass, so don't make plans. And if you're having friends over, they got to come. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they need to be dressed appropriately. You know, but it was like this foreign concept to a lot of them. You know, and kids need that. And they need to know that there are other kids out there who are also Catholic. That's one of the big strengths, you know, to a faith formation program, especially in an area like this that we're in now where geographically there's so many elementary schools, you know, uh, there's so many different options. At least when they come to catechism, whether it's, you know, here at St. Pat's or, you know, down the road or St. Paul's or St. Joe's, they are with other kids at least for one time a week where they see that it is normal you know what i mean mm -hmm. because that's a difficult thing for kids it just it is and that's why i can't you know when people come to me and it happens pretty regularly like hey i i've fallen away from the church i haven't been to mass in forever 
but I, I have two kids now, and my husband and I would like, you know, for them to be baptized, or if they were baptized already, they say, oh, you know, prepare for solar communion, but I don't know how to come back. So my response is always the exact same no matter the situation. We don't care where you've been. We're just happy you're here. Come mm-hmm. back. We're still doing the same thing. The mass time, if you grew up here in this parish, the mass times are probably the same even. We don't care. You just come back and don't let nobody give you, like, cross looks because they're probably not even looking at you. You know, we don't care where you've been. Just come back. And you will be surprised how quickly you will feel at home again. Right? Yep. You know, that's that's the beautiful thing about it. And I can almost say, and this is kind of prideful and boastful, I, I think I probably have almost a 100% track record that when they did come back, they came back and they ended up so elated that they came back. I mean, obviously, here at St. Pat's, I'm a paid employee. But if there was a line on my paycheck for where the deductions were, where it said it was a, like a reward, that you get to have the privilege of watching adults come back through their children, I mean, you can't even put a price on that. That's one of the coolest things about my position here at St. Patrick's. When you see that, and it's the most unassuming people. And you know what? It's happened a bunch of times, but it never gets old for me. It's always the neatest thing to see them come back. And the only thing that's ever a heartbreaker is is when they tell me they just thought that they wouldn't have been welcomed back. But I, that's what I tell them all the time. I'm like, listen, we can fix everything. You just come back. We don't. I don't care where you've been. It's mm-hmm. not my place to... To ask you, and and the funny thing is, is that the vast majority of them, they're literally just out, what I would call out of practice. They're not staying away for some huge because of some huge doctrinal issue. You know, it's not even like they need an annulment or anything like that. It's just we just stopped going. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know why we did, and now I just don't like. And sometimes they'll even tell me like, oh, we, we used to go to ten thirty, but if I walk in, I'm like, all those people are gonna like look at me. I'm like. No, not so much. I guarantee you, not to sound crass, but the people you thought would be there are either passed away or they moved. (laughs) Okay? Like, it's just not a very young mass anymore. It wasn't like when I was growing up. Uh, So don't let that be a burden. But, you know, we are still in a pandemic, and the Bishop Garcia has still given us a dispensation not to return to mass. And, you know, there are pros and cons to that, and that's my own theological issue about that dispensation. Um, however, we do have a great opportunity to do virtual mass in the home. And if you are finding that in your family, you need to incorporate that faith. YouTube live is awesome because it's recorded. It's there for at least a week and you can watch it and participate at your pace as a family. You can pause and have those conversations in the moment. To where, you know, if we were in mass and we're watching it and you sit there and you were like, oh, I'm going to talk about this when I, we're driving home. You get that luxury in your house to sit with a cup of coffee, participate with your family. And if your son or daughter has a question, pause it and answer it. Don't go wait until after mass. It's a pause. <laughs> There's a pause. But if you don't know the answer, you should definitely tell them you can't talk during church. Oh, perfect. Nice out. I yeah, like that. I would do that. <laughs> you but, know, you know it, it's very, it's a neat tool that, it, especially for families to have fallen away, let alone, you know, just simple day-to-day life, work schedules, kids' sports schedules, things that keep them from going to mass regularly. 
participating as a family in virtual mass at your own time, it's awesome. It is a great way to start those conversations. It's a great way to let them see the faces of their priests, see the church, see the changes. I mean, for those who haven't been back at St. Patrick's, they did the switch in the church of the cross and the uh, rising Christ. Which is awesome, by the way. Pre-pandemic, it was flipped. And I I will admit, I voted on the opposite. I wanted my rising Christ to stay. However, now that it's been there, I do think it's totally appropriate. I think it was the right call. But I was very stubborn about this at the beginning. I was like, And I will say this. (laughs) Because, you know, the rules in me will tell you. Because people, I know some people out there, especially the other ones, are like, well, Vatican II says that we're like a people of the rising Christ. Let me tell y'all something. You're supposed to have a crucifix in your sanctuary area. And we did not. We had a processional cross, people. And that is, I'm here to tell y'all, that's different. Mm -hmm. So you can still have the rising Christ. Um, You know, I'm not going to get into what I think about it. You draw your own conclusions. And, uh, <laughs> that is another podcast. <laughs> but we did have the switch. It's very appropriate. And it, it's beautiful. It is beautiful to see and to witness our altar and be able to see that. Uh, I'm still a nerve when I get texts from friends. I saw you at church. And it's me walking around with the Eucharistic plate. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> let's not look at Rachel. That's not the point. But, you know. I, it does complete the church. I'll tell you what I noticed the biggest difference is going to be. Now it feels like sacred space. Mm-hmm. The decor is definitely more appropriate. It's more conforming, actually, to canon law. Uh, it's where it's the way it should be. Um, not the way I think it should be. It's the way it should be. Because there are, rub- well, rubrics is not a good word. There are uh, specific texts and documents that detail how the church decor is supposed to be handled and what is allowed and what is not and what is actually required. So, I mean, yeah, it's a good, the switch is a good thing. I understand that people are partial to it on a sentimental uh, basis. Uh, but again, that goes back to the, those emotions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes uh, just because we've, we're emotionally charged behind something does not actually make it right. And that is very true. And um, <laughs> I will say, I went and when I moved away to college the first time, right, when I went to Sac State. You know, you didn't have a parish. I ended up going to my grandparents and my mother's parish when they were growing up. But I explored my fair share of churches. And there was one church, I cannot remember the name, but they had the most fantastic Jesus. And what I mean by fantastic, he had like perfect bone structure in the faith that he built. And abs like painted in like the six pack as if Jesus needed a six pack. But it was so distracting being a parishioner and looking, I'm like, wow, they like got model Jesus. Like this is like, this is so not what I need. (laughs) And, you know, and we all come to our own conclusions and our experiences about that. But it is about that experience and that sentimentality and really making it a, its own. And so I always remember that church as Ab Jesus in Sacramento. But, um, it, you know, it's definitely got a, it's got a full range of our experiences. But, you know, on the other side, let's say, you know, you've done virtual mass. You have these tools. And yet you're still thirsting for opportunities. You're still thirsting for resources. There are a few that I use that I highly recommend. And so before we do that, let me just interject one thing. When I was talking about emotions, the reason that that's such a pet peeve of mine is because, 
you know, sometimes I feel like in today's world, we let our emotions drive our decisions or our reasoning. Then it, I'm always talking, it seems like, what leads us down the path of error. That's probably because if there's one thing I'm an expert on, it's that. And that would be from my own personal experience, what not to do. I could definitely tell y'all what not to do. But, you know, every time someone, feel, I feel like they're really basing something on emotion, I always go back to the uh, St. John Paul II quote that freedom consists not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought. And I think that's a good question for us to ask ourselves when we really, we're trying to decide or make these decisions to where, is it something that is emotionally charging us? And I think we can use that and apply that a lot in our, um, in our own personal devotions and in our own faith. Is it something that's making us comfortable or, you know, is it actually concrete something we should be doing? Mm-hmm. So, And that is to each their own too. And it's, it's very hard to navigate. But when you're looking at your family, when you're looking at how you're trying to instill and be a consistent source of Catholic knowledge and support for your family, sometimes you can feel very depleted on your own. And you're just like, I don't even know what to do. Even something as simple as a Bible dive, being able to go and turn to uh, Proverbs thir- uh, 35, right? Like, and when you say it really fast, you're like, what? You have Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Some people don't know how to navigate that Bible. And so it's important to sit with your kids and talk about those type of things because that is always going to be a resource. It is not meant to be a weapon. It is not meant to be misconstrued for personal gain. It is truly a tool that allows us to live and thrive in the world. And so another, you know, there are a few things that, especially when I first started as a youth minister, uh, because I, guys, I got, this was a completely divine path to be in this position that was not anything it literally is like storybook like wow I can't believe all this happened to be here but I did not come with like the wealth of catholic resources to be like also she has me for yeah right I got just kidding kidding. (laughs) and I got a lot of people that supported me and had faith in me but I also you know oh I didn't have faith in you oh no none no no you're kind of like this is gonna be entertaining like the Michael Jackson meme (laughs) with the popcorn I just told him I could tell him what not to do (laughs) come on (laughs) And so, you know, looking through, I wanted to ensure that all the information I gave my teens was founded in, like, something they could fall back on, do their research and apply it. And so I found these great resources for families and for individuals. And one of them is um, from this website called Bible Study Tools, and it's called The Daily Bible Living. And this subscription really helps me out because you get to really focus on where you individually and where in your family need to have these faith-based conversations. And so they you know, they have the Catholic side and then they open it up to full Christian, you know, denominations. They're able to uh, really introduce these conversations and apply it to what's going on in our real lives. Uh, the other thing that I use is the daily offering from the Catholic um, company. And the daily offering, they have um, priests pray for you the night before, and then they send the emails out. And these passages really guide you. They provide a daily prayer. They provide little insights to how you respond to the world. And sometimes these things come from left field, and you're like, oh, this isn't going to apply. And then it applies right in that day. 
Um, so those are two great resources I recommend that are online that you can subscribe as a family and use that as conversation pieces and reference tools. Yeah, and because um, we're running out of time today, but I'll just mention a couple apps that are really high on my list. One of them is actually Divine Office. Uh, you That one's a little bit more pricey. You have to pay for it, but it provides it, the, um, the whole entire collection of the Liturgy of the Hours in one place. It's like 20 or 25 bucks, but it's a lot cheaper than buying all four volumes if you don't want to do that. Another one is uh, Universalis. It provides a lot of different types of prayers. You can definitely get lost um, just within the program itself. It's it's a great app. That one is free. Um, the prayers of the Auxilium Christianorum also are hosting an app. They just came out with it about a year ago. That one is free. It'll give you prayers for every single day. Fridays is my, in particular, favorite. It's the Litany of Humility, which hopefully one day we'll be able to use as our, our prayer here. Uh, and then my last two resources that I like a lot is uh, Laudate, and that one is also free, and it provides their daily readings. It'll actually give you the liturgy, the hour prayers for free. Everything on it is free. It has tons of different chaplets. Uh, you don't even need your rosary to say it because it'll mark the beads for you on the app. Oh, it's nice. pretty cool. And then my last one is uh, Kindara, is, and that one is actually a, a natural family planning app. And it actually has a thermometer that you can pair with it uh, that will sync uh, temperatures to the phone. It's uh, really um, it's interactive, and you can get as crazy with it. It's just like a fitness app. You can get as crazy with it as you want. But if anyone is involved in natural family planning and you're looking for a little easier way to do it instead of pen and paper, this will take care of it for you, and that one is also free. I think there is an option for a paid account, but you can do a lot with a free account. So. so luckily we will be able to share all of these resources with you on our Instagram and our Facebook. Um, so keep your eyes posted. We will be posting links to all of these resources for you during the week. And if there's any that you have discovered, any that you have found that are great tools that you recommend, share it with us on our Instagram, share it with us on our Facebook, tag us. We love this stuff. We want to ensure that we are providing you, the listeners, everything tool possible so that you are more intentionally incorporating God faith, the Holy Trinity in your home. And we're just so thrilled that we're able to share these resources with you and promote this modern Catholic living in your lives. Yeah. And one quick last thing, I know I'm always saying that in relation to your purgatory uh, deal, a great book uh, on that is called Hungry Souls. I can't remember the name of the author right now. It's kind of escaping me, but it is a collection of different stories um, that are, that involve purgatory. And it actually lists some of the items that are included in the Purgatory Museum, which is in Rome. If you're in Rome, it's kind of out of the way. And I think, if I remember right, it's across the Tiber. And it's a smaller church. You may, If you've been to Rome, you may have walked right by it and didn't even know. But it's a great resource. Yeah. And it's a great book. It's a great read. You can pick it up and put it down because it's a collection of stories. Oh, awesome. So yeah. I think um, you can get it on Amazon. <laughs> and we'll definitely be hitting up Purgatory another time. It's one of the first things Stacy and I talked about <laughs> when we started the podcast talk. And it ended up becoming a thing where our friend joined us and then our priest joined us. And it became this great conversation piece. So I definitely think it's going to be something we talk about, especially pre-Halloween since spooky. Everyone kind of associates death with that. 
Um, so I'm going to close us off with our uh, closing prayer today. I found a prayer of protection for all of us. So this prayer Excellent. is for uh, you, Stacy. It's a prayer for our viewers. It's a prayer for our families. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. The light of God surrounds me. The love of God enfolds me. The power of God protects me. The presence of God watches over me. The mind of God guides me. The life of God flows through me and those I love. The laws of God direct me. The power of God abides within me. The joy of God uplifts me. The strength of God renews me. The beauty of God inspires me. Wherever I am, God is. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That has been Trial by Fire's third podcast. Hard to believe we're already there. Thank you so much for listening. This is Rachel. Oh, and Stacy. Thank you. We'll see you next week.